talking about John the Baptist this morning. Okay, as we've uh, you know we've got a candle here, it's the first Sunday of Advent. Over the coming weeks, we'll be talking about the coming of Christ. Yeah, his birth, obviously. Uh, and so, in the run-up to that, I thought it'd be a, an idea to have a closer look at his forerunner, the one sent to prepare the way, John the Baptist. So, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And you can uh, also reference uh, Luke 7. As we read through this passage, pretty much word for word the same. So Matthew 11, starting at verse 1. When Jesus had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in towns throughout the region. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk. Those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. Verse 11, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet even the least of these, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. And from the time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you are willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. To what can I compare this generation? It's like children playing a game in the public square. They complain to their friends. We played wedding songs and you didn't dance. So we played funeral songs and you didn't mourn. For John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say, he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say, he is a glutton and a drunkard. And a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. Okay, so that's Matthew 11. You've got Luke 7 as well, 18 to 35, which is basically the same thing. So we'll go through a few points from that as we go through. But quickly then, as, a, as like an introduction, who is John the Baptist? At a Sunday school kind of level, everybody knows, everyone's heard of John the Baptist. He's the cousin of Jesus. Obviously, he baptized people. He was barking mad. He, you know, wore animal skins and ate locusts and all that kind of stuff. 
he came and then he fairly quickly disappeared from the story as fairly short-lived kind of character. But I want to explore a little bit more of John's character in his ministry this morning because he's a very, very important guy. Jesus says that John was the greatest man that had ever lived. Yeah, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yeah, all four Gospels open by talking about his life and the ministry of John and quoting the prophecies that told of his coming, which, by the way, is the daily read this morning. Nice bit of confirmation. <laughs> yeah, so and there he is. The whole countryside has gone out to see him. And this is not like dribs and drabs of people. This is crowds and crowds of people going out to John for baptism. And then more crowds besides that are coming out just to kind of see what's going on. and get a look at him. So this morning I want to fairly quickly have a look at what he was all about. And what can we learn from him. Okay. So you can learn a lot about the setting and the context from the Gospels. The setting was not ideal. So for somebody that's starting in ministry, the setting was not ideal. For whatever reason, John is not a particularly social kind of guy. He's not very sociable. Yeah, he's a crazy looking, crazy sounding guy. His clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Yeah, the setting is not ideal. There's no nice building. There's no convenience. Apparently, it was something like 1,300 feet below sea level. Um, this guy called Lensky who writes commentary on this, and he calls it this hot, uninhabited depression, which is wild in every way and removed from all civilization. So that's where we are. And somehow, crowds and droves of people are coming out to see and hear this guy. How do we account for his massive popularity? Luke chapter 3 gives us some good uh, context. You know, Luke's obviously a historian. He gives us a lot of detail in the gospel. And we've got details of the political leaders, the religious leaders. And really, John the Baptist arrives and speaks in a time of darkness and in a time of silence. It was a time of darkness. Zechariah, who was John's father, prophesied, You, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. He will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. So it was light in a time of darkness. And it was a time of silence. Silence in terms of hearing from God. It has now been... 400 odd years since the end of Malachi, yeah, where Christ is prophesied and also the coming of John the Baptist is prophesied, the forerunner, one to prepare the way. So look at Luke chapter 3. 400 odd years have gone by 
and it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman Emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee, and his brother Philip was ruler over Etoria and Trancatitis, which sounds like an infection. Lysantius was ruler over Abilene. Abilene. <laughs> Annas and uh, Caiaphas were the high priests. And at this time, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. The word of God came to John. Then John went from place to place, both sides of the river Jordan, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, Here's a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, the mountains and the hills made level, the curves will be straightened and the rough places made smooth, and then all people will see the salvation sent from God. So the word of God came to John. And then, as the recipient of that word, he then becomes the voice crying out in the wilderness. Yeah? The word of God came to John. And as the recipient of the word, he then becomes the voice crying out in the wilderness. Now, in that period of silence, in that period of four or five hundred years, there will have been many voices. Yeah, there will have been many people coming and going and claiming this and that, as there always has been and as there is today. There's a big difference between saying something and having something to say. Okay? As we look around us today, we live in a world now where everyone has a platform, everyone has a voice, yeah? everyone is saying something. But how much of that is white noise? Yeah? So many of the voices we hear actually have nothing very useful or meaningful to say. We can all say something, but have we got something to say? So the importance and the impact of John's message was not because of his status or his personality. It was not because of his circumstances or his clothes or his location. It was because of his message. Yeah, the word of God came to John, and then John became the voice. So... What can we learn from John's ministry? I think four things that we can learn that we'll go through. Number one, he had divine authority. He had personal integrity, humility, and simplicity. Okay, divine authority. John has divine authority. When Jesus talks about John, he says... This is the man about whom it is written. In Matthew 11, that we read, verse 10, John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, look, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you and he'll prepare the way before you. This man has crowds and crowds of people gathering around him and he has no social or political authority. Yeah? The text makes a point of describing this weird lifestyle that he leads. Yeah, on his own in the wilderness. He has no worldly authority. 
It was divine authority. It is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's important. Yeah? John knows that, actually. He knows that he's the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He wouldn't think of it in those terms at the time, but he knew that he was the forerunner, and he knew that he was to introduce the Messiah. Yeah? He knows that that's his job. He has been placed to introduce the Messiah. He knows that the kingdom of God is coming. He knows that Christ will bring salvation. In John chapter 1, he introduces Christ as... Behold the Lamb of God. Now, in the context of the Jews, you've got this period of four or five hundred years, all the prophecies and scriptures, the Jews are thinking that God was going to bring a Messiah who would be a king, a ruler, a warrior, all that kind of stuff. Which, by the way, there's scriptural precedent for that, you know. Introduces Christ as the Lamb of God. If you're a Jew and you've grown up in the scriptures and you go to the temple and there's the blood sacrifice that has to be made, yeah, you've got the imagery and the symbolism of the Passover feast and, you know, Abraham on the mountain with his son Isaac. He tells his son that God will provide the sheep for the sacrifice. So the Jews recognized that there had to be this Innocent for guilty sacrifice for the payment of sin. And then John sees Christ coming towards him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know if any of them, including John, would have actually really fully understood the weight of what that meant at the time. But what an introduction if you think about the context. Yeah, here comes the great Messiah. He says this, you know, this great man whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Yeah, John speaks of the coming and advancement of the kingdom. He's talking about God's judgment. You brood of vipers, he says. He says the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. You better repent and you better prove your repentance by the demonstration of a changed life. He's got some very, very strong words to say about God's coming judgment, which makes all the more striking that he would introduce Christ as the Lamb of God. Yeah? You brood of snakes, who warned you to, free, to flee the coming wrath? He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees here, and they know the scriptures and they understand the language and the symbols and they understand what that means. And here comes the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice, the innocent blood. So John is the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's come in divine authority. He speaks in divine authority. So as we look at our own ministry, as we look at our own Christianity, our church, that is the only basis for authority. In ministry, if we're attempting to create authority out of our personality, or out of our location, or out of our context, yeah, look where I came from, look at all the things that I've had to deal with, these things are no basis for authority. 
what Joan was saying was not easy to listen to. Yeah? It wasn't easy to listen to. He wasn't worried about who liked him. He wasn't worried about how many people he had following him. He wasn't trying to make people feel good about themselves. He was trying to spur them to repentance. The word of God came to John, and John became the voice. Okay. Talk about John's character, personal integrity, and humility. John was a man of integrity. Look at verse 7. It says, What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? <clears throat> John was not a weak reed. <laughs> that could be swayed by the winds of changeable human opinion. One of Jordan Peterson's famous sayings recently is, if you think tough men are dangerous, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. If you think tough men are dangerous, wait until you see what weak men are capable of. We're not talking about physical strength here. Yeah, the idea being that the weak man cannot or will not stand up to evil. And so evil will be unopposed by the weak man. Yeah, whereas a strong man will stand up to evil and is virtuous. I'm reading a book at the moment called Ordinary Men, which is a hard book to read, Ordinary Men. It studies the Holocaust, and it's so obviously the attempted extermination of the Jewish people in Europe and Russia, the final solution, as it was called. And the thing is, you've got, in the war, you've got the German war machine fighting on various fronts, spread fairly thinly, as it was. And so, in large part, the actual business of the Holocaust, the actual business of rounding up Jewish men, women, and children didn't fall to the soldiers, but to battalions of reserve policemen who are made up of normal people, okay? P police officers, teachers, shopkeepers, accountants, ordinary men. And the book is a study of the testimonies and the court proceedings against some of these people in the 60s and 70s. And the point of the book is to examine the fact that possibly the greatest atrocity of the 20th century, this act of evil, was carried out generally not by soldiers, not by psychopathic warlords or ideologists, but by ordinary men who had received orders, who understood that murder was wrong, but were complicit anyway. That makes sense? Now, I know that's an extreme example. <laughs> but it's hardly a stretch to see smaller-scale versions of this happening in the world today. I've talked to you before about a guy called Jeff Durbin and his ministry at abortion clinics. Yeah, they've got a ministry called End Abortion Now. And God told him to go and minister outside abortion clinics and go and tell people to stop killing babies. Well, goodness me, you know, that's a bit strong. You can't go saying things like that. will hurt people's feelings. You know, these women are vulnerable and we need to leave them alone. And yet, 
they have a church full of kids running around that if he had not taken God at his word and gone and stood outside the abortion clinic, these kids just would not be alive. Yeah? What kind of man did God send as the forerunner? Who did you go to the wilderness to see? A weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? The point that Jesus is making is that John is not a weak reed. In fact, at the time of speaking, John is actually in prison <laughs> for calling out Herod on his sin because of the relationship he had with his brother's wife. Okay, what else can we say about the integrity of John the Baptist and his humility? In John 1, you've got the Jewish leaders sending some guys out to John to question him to find out what he's doing. Okay, so these temple guys come up to John. Who are you? John said, I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Now, he's got crowds and crowds of people around him. He's quite, he's making a bit of a splash, and he could have said, I am John the Baptizer, son of Zechariah. I have baptized so many hundreds of people, and I have got this many disciples, and I am the one prophesied about in Isaiah. Yeah, just look here, chapter 40, verse 3, this is me. <laughs> and then if you'll just turn to Malachi. No, it says, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. Well then, who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No. Despite that everyone keeps referring to me as Elijah, no, I am not. The temple guys are getting impatient with John. Yeah, he's just not playing ball for them. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? And it's funny, really, this is the kind of question that people love. Selfish human nature, I suppose. We love to talk about ourselves. If people came into our church today asking, who are you? What do you have to say about yourself? I dare say we'd have a long and detailed answer. Yeah? This is who I am. <laughs> this is where I'm from. These are the things that I've done. This is my likes and dislikes. This is my five-year plan. John is not interested what people think about him. Yeah? He answers from Scripture. I'm a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. And these guys are just not getting the answers that they want from John. They're obviously getting frustrated with him. You're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet, never mind what you're not. What are you doing and what right do you have to baptize? And he just turns it around to Jesus. He says, there's someone coming after me who is so much greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. All that he does and all that he says points to Christ. He's not interested what people call him, what people think of him. All he's interested in is pointing to Christ. Look, here comes the Messiah. Yeah? Here comes the Messiah. You better repent. You better get your life in order because Christ is here. In John 3... John the Baptist and Jesus are both baptizing people in the Judean countryside. 
And John's disciples come to him and say, that man that you were talking to, the man that you were talking about the other day, who you identified as the Messiah, well, he's baptizing people over there as well, and everyone's going to him instead of us. What does John say? I am not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. Therefore, I'm filled with joy for his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John, you're losing followers. Does that resonate in a world where all we seem to hear about is how many followers people have got? Yeah, we need a blue tick next to your name in order to have any credibility. <laughs> you have to keep up your number of followers at all costs. John, you're losing followers. You need to do something different. John says, I've come to prepare the way and then get out of the way. It's not about me. It's about him. John is self-effacing. He's not a wimp. He's not weak. But he's not trying to create a personal following. He's not trying to glorify himself. He's simply God's man with a word from God. Yeah? So he obeyed and he stood in God's boldness. Simplicity. Jesus says that John was the greatest man who had ever been born of a woman. He never did any miracles, never spoke in tongues, never raised the dead. All he really did was preach repentance. Yeah? He speaks about salvation and judgment. John was speaking into a silence and a darkness. Speaking into the silence with a word from God. And he was speaking into the darkness. He says, I am not the light, but I bear witness to the light. There are similarities to draw here for us. Yeah, we live in a world of darkness, for sure. And we can speak into a sort of silence as well. In a world that is so incredibly busy and so incredibly noisy, and there are so many people talking and there is so much information, yet we speak into a kind of void. Yeah? The word of God is alive and sharp. And of all the madness that goes on in the world today, there is so little of this activity and this noise that it is, is of any substance, that of any value, any truth, yeah? Speaking God's word into this context will be effective. Paul says in Colossians 4, 4, pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Yeah? The word of God is not complicated. It's not far away. It's not hard to understand. Look at the message of John the Baptist. Jesus is coming. Get ready to meet him. The effectiveness of the church today is so compromised because we are not operating in God's divine authority because we are weak reeds swayed by every passing breeze and because we are making God's work and God's word 
so nuanced and complicated that people very often do not have a clue what we're talking about, yeah, or what we're trying to achieve. It's not easy to speak God's word, but it is simple. Jesus said a couple of chapters previously, the harvest is plentiful, but the labor is a few. Okay, where does that leave us? We'll wrap up, I'm finishing. Where does that leave us? The Spirit of God was in John. Yeah, we read he was filled with the Spirit from the womb. Yeah, God empowered him, his ministry, and so on. That same Spirit dwells in you, or is promised and available to you. Now, I say that carefully because it's hard to believe that when you look at the church and you look at, we look at us. But that's another sermon for another day. We'll leave it there for today. (laughs) Leave it there for today. John the Baptist, the example of John the Baptist. No miracles, no building, just a man full of the Holy Spirit. Receives the word of God and then becomes a voice for the word of God. Walking and talking in God's authority. A man of character with a simple word Jesus is coming get ready to meet him Amen